Baseball isn't just numbers, numbers, numbers. This game is not being played on computers. You don't do that with a bunch of statistical gimmicks. You don't put a team together with a computer. We're talking weighted runs created plus. Expected Woba. Sweet spot rate. Defensive runs above average. Average exit velocity. Barrel rate. XFIP. BABIP. S-I-E-R-A. We are above replacement radio. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio. We're talking baseball. Kind of whenever I'm your host, Christian, over there. On the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing well today. The winter meetings have come and passed. Uh, the first three days were painfully slow. Actually, the first like three and like or two and like three quarters days were really slow. And then uh, Tuesday night we got a big trade. Wednesday throughout the day we had the most uh, long-winded reported trade of all time. It was going to happen at 9 a.m. and then it was going to happen at 2 p.m. and then it was going to happen at 5 and it ended up happening at like 9:30. But we spent the entire day uh, focusing on the big trade of the of the winter meetings, and it was certainly reported in a way that was never reported before for any trade. But uh, yeah, we got some moves to talk about today. Not exactly as much as we would hope we have had coming out of the winter meetings, but regardless. Yeah, as uh, as Red Sox fans, it was really it was really full on purgatory. But knowing you know you're going below, uh, because. You know, it it was like ninety nine percent chance that Soto was going to go to the Yankees, but there were all these delays, and I I didn't I didn't jump to try and you know change my emotions about it because I felt like he was going to go the whole time and you know pre- <clears throat> prepare for the worst, I guess. And yeah, the worst sort of happened, you know, from a Red Sox fan perspective. But yeah, Juan Soto going to the Yankees. Uh, the Yankees also get Trent Grisham in this deal. They traded away Michael King. Uh, Drew Thorpe, who is a top 100 prospect, uh, Kyle, ha- ha- Kyle Higashioka, among others. I uh, was how many players were in this deal? Like eight, nine players? I think it? it was seven because yeah. it was so it was Soto and Grisham going to New York for uh, Michael King, Drew Thorpe, who was the minor league pitcher of the year. Um, so like <laughs> not just not just some guy, uh, a guy that is very good and I think will probably be in the Padres rotation next year. Uh, Randy Vasquez, Johnny Brito, and uh, Kyle Higashioka was the full trade. Right, right. So, you know, Padres get a get a a, a decent return. Some would say, you know, should have gotten more, but I think that's part of the perks of trading a guy who only has one year of control left. Um, and that's what that's what Soto has, and um, the talks of him ex- you know extending with whatever team he was going to he was going to play for this year you know that was that was in question uh majorly i mean this is a guy who has rejected 440 million dollars before um you know it's he's a seems like a tough person to negotiate with and or, or his agent seems like a tough person to, to negotiate with well that would be scott boris that would be scott boris and uh but he is going to be in pinstripes this year what were your thoughts on the uh, on the trade I mean, as as tough as it was to see from a Red Sox fan, it's extremely cool. I mean, you know, Juan Soto and Aaron Judge in the same lineup is, you could probably argue two of the top three, at least top five hitters in Major League Baseball right now. Um, and they're going to be right next to each other in the outfield, right next to each other in the lineup. Um, and, you know, I mean, it is only for one year. It doesn't sound like an extension is going to happen. Um, but certainly you never really know. Um it is extremely, extremely weird that Juan Soto has already been traded twice. Imagine telling that to someone in July of 2022 before he rejected the Nationals extension. 
yeah <laughs> yeah it'd be, it's like what the heck you would you would assume that he had like a steep drop off but he hasn't yeah. no he's he's he has a 157 career ops plus um which is by the way you know in 3000 career plate appearances he's actually younger right now than aaron judge was when he made his major league debut yeah <laughs> which is you know just as a reminder Juan Soto is still extremely young. Like there are minor leaguers, and probably some even like top prospects that are younger than him still. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> one fifty-seven OP- career OPS plus, um, one fifty-three over his last, uh, over his last two years, and one sixty over his last three years, uh, which includes that MVP runner-up campaign. Um, and yeah, he's obviously one of the best hitters in the game um you know probably probably a top 5 hitter out there um i think most would say um but but you know it, like uh there's i think people love talking about Juan Soto because of how un- unique unique he is uh you know he's the, no matter the list you put out for top hitters he's probably going to be the youngest person in that top hitter list but he's been in that conversation for a few years now uh probably since like 2020 or so even 2019 you could argue he's been just in that conversation for so long yet he's still only you know heading into his age 25 season so uh so there is that thing of like who knows he could he could potentially you know, get even better here, which is, which is a very scary thing. Um, but, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of elements to, to go into with Juan Soto. I think there is, you know, something to be said about he's experienced a lot of defensive regression over the past two years, which has, you know, dropped his wins above replacement and, you know, just dropped it's, it's dropped his value a little bit. You know, he didn't have that same defensive regression, um, in that MVP runner-up campaign, but I think that's something that is being considered a little bit when people are when when teams are you know negotiating with him or negotiating for him. Um, but uh, overall, this does really enhance the Yankees lineup. It it they we talked about their need for an outfield bat. We talked about the fact that even with Aaron Judge, they had the lowest on base percentage among outfielders last year. Juan Soto is going to change that dramatically. I mean, this is a guy who is pretty much a, a shoe in to get a 400 on base percentage here. Yeah, I mean, he is a career 421 OBP and over 3,000 plate appearances. You know, I understand the defensive regression is a thing and that his his base running has been average to even subpar, but I think it's very easy to lose sight of just how good Juan Soto is offensively uh, because he's the closest thing we've seen to Ted Williams since Ted Williams. Um, and I understand that uh you know that's been 70 years right i mean it's been even even more than that if you're talking about this stage of his career it's been 80 years uh since since ted williams but uh yeah i mean a 157 career ops plus in 3000 plate appearances before age 25 that is and you know you, you know yeah i know it's only for a year that the yankees have him but like you know you talk about him as if he's been, in, you know, as he's about to hit free agency and like the mind kind of goes, you know, 29, 30 years old. No, he's 25. Like he could be a rookie at his age would not be unusual at all. And he's about to hit free agency as a super two. He could have hit free agency this year. Yes. Yes, he he very easily could have. Um, You know, he was brought up. 
he's brought up like yeah around like may or, or june of 2018 when he was brought up um and that whole thing is an interesting thing in, in itself um but yeah with um <clears throat> with the what, what have been the talks about like what have you seen on the on like the idea of him possibly getting extended like what what percentage chance would you put it to, put it at i mean it really sounds like you know he's he wants to see like what teams are going to put out there maybe i don't know like maybe he's sick of of being thrown around and he wants to like finally know where he's going to spend the rest of his career it's hard to really know but um i think passen uh said today like it doesn't sound like he's he's getting one or that he's going to want one uh because um you know maybe he wants he wants to see what he can get on the free agent market because i mean next year is going to be a very starting pitcher heavy uh free agent market and less emphasis on position players so you know Juan Soto is going to be the top guy on the free agent market um you know from a position player standpoint and and far above anyone else so um it's it's hard to actually predict right now I wouldn't give it a zero percent chance but I also wouldn't give it like anything above like a 15 percent chance right right I mean the Yankees also You know, I I feel like, you know, maybe if the Yankees had less um less dollars committed and less long-term contracts committed to, they would be a little bit more aggressive in trying to extend him. I'm not saying that I don't think that they will make efforts to do that because, you know, they they gave up a good haul to to get this guy and I think there was an assumption that they were at least going to try to to extend him, you know, once probably spring training comes around. Um but, you know, they have Forty million dollars a year committed to Aaron Judge already. Uh, they have about thirty million a year committed to John Carlos Stanton. Thirty-six million a year com- committed to Garrett Cole. Twenty-seven a year to Carlos Rodon, and fifteen a year to to DJ LeMahieu. And that's <clears throat> those are all all contracts that are going to go on for through at least twenty twenty six for you know the next three years. So the the Yankees do already have a good bit on their plate. Um, wouldn't put it past them to try and extend them. And I, I would definitely um, give a, a round of applause to their front office and ownership if they were able to do that, because, you know, no, there's no shame in, in spending money on your team. But uh, I, I definitely understand why, you know, ownership might not want to do that with all, all of the big contracts they already have. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's understandable, but you also got to remember that this is a guy that you're getting you know, starting in his age 26 season, you know, it's not like it's a 30 year old that you got to worry about uh, being broken by year four, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a different, it's very different in that case. Um, but there are also reports saying that the Yankees are still trying to get Yoshinobu Yamamoto. And it sounds like from a lot of reports that I've seen on, on Twitter that he might surpass $300 million in his contract and the Yankees are still very much in on that. So, I mean, I don't think the contract uh, is is going to sh- you know going to time redder away, um, you know like you got to remember that this is a team that just had their worst season in thirty years. Was it still a winning season? Yes, but um, it's it's the New York Yankees. The standard is, is simply different over there, um, and you know what they're they're going out and making the big moves as they should. Right, right. Um, and not to delve too deep into like the potential of the Juan Soto free agency. But um, I think really the last time 
that we saw someone that young uh, go into the free agent market was the year of Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. And it was a big deal when it happened, but it's probably going to be an even bigger deal with Juan Soto because of how consistent he's been. You know, I, I remember, um, you know, Bryce Harper heading into free agency. He didn't have his best year. Manny Machado didn't have the best stint with uh, with L.A. Um, heading into his free agency. But it was still an extremely exciting um, endeavor with both of those guys going into their age 26 season and into free agency because it was like, you know, I think we had gotten grown used to the Albert Pujols, Miguel Cabrera, um, Prince Fielder type contracts where guys are broken, as you said, by like year three or four of that contract, where instead, you know, you get the free agent, but you also get uh, you, you get production for the first couple of years, but you also he's going to be good for like, you know, the next five, six years. And we're seeing that with Manny Machado and Bryce Harper currently. There's still currently some uh, a couple of very good players um, with their respective teams. So I think that free agency, you know, that'll be a fun thing if if he does end up going to free agency. But uh, it would be. but um, do we want to talk about the uh, the Padres side of the deal? Yeah, um, ultimately, I think. I do very much worry about what kind of precedent this is going to set in baseball because, you know, we finally see a quote-unquote small market team, you know, really just say, you know, like, forget forget our market size, we're going to go for it, right? And they had, uh, they broke over the luxury tax, they had uh, one of the highest payrolls in all of baseball, they had, you know, a ton of money committed to, to three players plus you Darvish, three position players plus you Darvish, and... You know, they just asked for a $50 million loan from the city uh, to help pay back uh, some of that payroll. Um, and what they got out of it was a missed playoff run. They missed the playoffs entirely. Juan Soto's gone. Uh, and, you know, people are going to look back and be like, wow, what a failure. And I very much fear that a lot of small market teams are going to use that to justify never spending, you know, $15 million per year for like three years on like a pretty good player right you know because this is a very extreme example where uh where one team all their chips into the table and failed miserably um and it really ties back to just how sad uh it was that the Padres didn't finish the way that they did because it's hard right i mean they put up a like almost plus 100 run differential last year they just couldn't win the close games. They went like one in 12 in extra innings. They had an awful win loss record with, uh, in one run in one run games last year. And yeah, they went nine and 23, nine and 23 in one run games. And then was it one in 12 in extra innings? Was that what it was? It ended up being two and 12. I think they won another, extra they won another game. one. Well, they didn't yeah. win an extra inning game until like last week of the season or something close to that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I really do think that that's going to end up having a very negative impact on the league overall. Yeah, it, it could end up doing that. I think <clears throat> there's two ways to look at it. There's looking at the Padres and how their buy-in resulted and looking at the Rangers and how their buy-in resulted. And I think a lot of owners are going to choose, you know, uh, choose, you know, with with uh, full consciousness going the Padres way because it's just easier to say it's easier to it's easier to do that. It's easier to say that the Rangers sort of got lucky, which you know the Rangers, they did they did overperform this year, but 
the Padres dramatically underperformed. Uh, so pointing to that, I don't think is is logic logically makes a lot of sense either. But um, but yeah, it is it is it is unfortunate. I think if Juan Soto, you know, wasn't a Scott Boris client and wasn't so you know stiff in negotiations, I think the Padres maybe would have still kept him around um and and maybe extended him but uh but yeah he has one year left there's a lot of value in what they can bring back you could argue that they could have gotten a little bit more back but still michael king uh proved very valuable in the last like month of the season last year drew thorpe as you mentioned you know minor league pitcher of the year last year uh had a had great strikeout numbers and run prevention numbers a, a 252 era last year um so there, there is there is that aspect of it, but yeah, it, it is it is unfortunate for the Padres, and you kind of look at this at this roster, and you look at that lineup particularly, and it looks pretty shallow. It does, um, yeah, it is, it is very bleak right now in San Diego, and I mean, it sucks that we're going to remember the you know the one year of the Padres big four as you know with uh, with Soto Machado Tatis and both. They missed the playoffs, and uh, yeah, though that the roster looks very bleak right now. Like without Soto, even though that is just one guy. Yeah, cause cause you know when you have when you have four stars like that and taking out a quarter of them, you know it 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 impacts the team a good bit. You got Cronenworth coming off a down year. You know Hassan Kim, wonderful defense wonderful base running you know kind of an average bat so you know in that lineup it doesn't look as scary and then you got uh, according to fan graphs you know with the projected lineup it's like Luis Camposano Cal Mitchell who I I think is not on the it's roster a non- right a now roster invite yes uh Matthew Batten and H- Jose Azokar Azokar um, Azokar yeah yeah but yeah with the Padres they're the main pieces of that return, I think what a lot of people would agree on is Michael King and Drew Thorpe. Uh, Michael King uh, was normally a, you know, he was uh, a normal like reliever for the Yankees, got hurt in 2022. And then eventually um, at the end of last year, they sort of like wanted to make him a starter, which is pretty interesting. Um, and he is 28. He's heading into his age 29 season and he has two more years of control uh but in those last in those last uh eight starts that he had last year i believe he had a 202 era a 241 fit and 27% strikeout minus walk rate and that era ranked 7th out of 60 qualifiers in that span fit ranked 4th and strikeout minus walk rate ranked 4th so you know there's major potential with Michael King and that's you know with the Padres rotation being pretty questionable outside of um Joe Musgrove and maybe uh you Darvish you know I think that it's good for the Padres to just gain another arm and they also gained another arm in the minor league system as well yeah uh so Drew Thorpe is I think the biggest piece going to the Padres in this deal um like I said, minor league pitcher of the year that was given out by MLB Pipeline, and I believe Baseball America might have given him something as well. Um, he his changeup uh, is his best pitch, and it's a 65 overall on the 2080 scale according to MLB.com. Um, and it's 
a really impressive pitch. Um, it breaks really well. He gets a lot of whiffs on it. And also, just generally speaking, last year, uh, 139 in a third innings pitch between high A and double A. Um, and he had 11.8 strikeouts per nine to just 2.5 walks per nine. That is a 4.79 strikeout to walk ratio. And that's kind of that matters in the minor league, you know, like they can control and they're doing that. And Drew Thorpe is doing that extremely well. Also 0.8 home runs per nine, which is below uh, the league average. And also if you want the stuff that he doesn't always control a 2.52 ERA and a 0.983 whip. So, I mean, genuinely an outstanding year. And by the way, that that was his first professional season. He was drafted in the second round of 2022. Didn't appear in the minor league, but he did this year for the first time. And, that's what he went on to do. So, I mean, I think Drew Thorpe, real deal here. You know, I was very uh, intrigued to see if the Yankees would even be willing to part with him. You know, he doesn't have the biggest name. Like, obviously, he's not the Padres' number one prospect because Ethan Stylus exists, but uh, MLB Pipeline has him in at number six right now. But I think that doesn't really do it justice because I think he could be in that rotation at some point next year, and I think he could be an effective piece of it as well because the Padres need... Now, they need stability in the rotation. You know, that's why they signed Yu Darvish to an extension at the age of 37, because they knew Blake Snell was probably going to be leaving. They didn't realize he'd be winning the Cy Young, but they knew he'd be leaving. Joe Musgrove, unfortunately, got hurt. Uh, but after those three, there just wasn't really a lot of uh, foreseeable future in that rotation. And Drew Thorpe is going to add that. Yeah, it's that's a very good point. Very good point you make, uh, you know, the fact that they needed future pitching and, you know, they get that with, uh, with Drew Thorpe and, you know, with the MLB pipeline ranking of him being number six uh, in the Padres system, that's also a mid-year 2023 ranking. You know, that's before he won, you know, minor league pitcher of the year. I'm, I'm, it, you know, it, it has some accuracy to it, but I imagine, you know, in the preseason 2024 rankings, he will be ho- even higher within the, uh, within the Padres system. So, you know, makes a, you know, it'll, it'll be a, he'll be a good piece to have for sure, for sure. Um, But uh, another, another part of another piece of the trade, you know, the unsung guy that's going into, that's going to New York as well. Another outfielder, um, Trent Grisham, who, you know, I think he's had an interesting career arc, uh, we were really, really high on him in 2020 and, and 2021, or at least the first half of 2021. I know I was. Uh, there was a certain point in 2021 where, you know, from the start of 2020 till that point, like the only uh, outfielders ahead of him in F4 were like Acuna, Betts, and Soto, I think. But nonetheless, uh, Trent Grisham, uh, he had an offensive downfall, but last year just peripherally like underlying numbers wise he made some improvements uh although his ops didn't change that much his expected numbers did and that's because he was hitting the ball harder he hit the ball two miles per hour harder than he did in 2022 his barrel rate also went up to 12 percent, and his walk rate was a career high at 13.5 percent uh and you know that's not within that's not with an extreme strikeout rate it's a it's it's not a good strikeout rate that he has but it's not ex- on the extreme side either like that strikeout minus walk rate from a hitter's perspective is better than average um you know based on MLB averages and and whatnot or or it's a round average I should say uh and along with that uh 
Trent Grisham also has a seven outs above average as an outfielder, or he did last year. And that's something the uh, that's something the Yankees need, especially with Soto going into the outfield, Verdugo going into the outfield. Like, you know, those two aren't known necessarily for their defense. Verdugo has kind of been inconsistent. Juan Soto has taken a defensive downfall. So Trent Grisham will def- definitely add some much de- needed defense to the Yankees, to the Yankees defense. Yeah. I mean, being a guy that, you know, is a left-handed hitter going into Yankee stadium with a 20, with a 28% fly ball rate last year and an exit velocity of 90 degrees. Like, you know, it feels like there could be some kind of offensive resurgence for Trent Grisham, especially because uh, he's, you know, what, going into his age 27 season, uh, we know that he's capable of being a really good player. He's obviously tremendous defensively. And, you know, I think at worst right now, he's a defensive replacement for them uh, and a pinch hitter and like a quality bat off the bench. But, you know, at his best, I think he could be an everyday player in this lineup, especially on defense, because, you know, Soto is a tremendous hitter, but his defense is a little a little bit lacking. Um, you know, Alex Verdugo, who we'll talk about later, also struggles with defense and is kind of a very similar type of hitter to Grisham in some ways. And Aaron Judge, um, you know, I mean, obviously, he's Aaron Judge, and we're going to see him in center field next year. We've seen him in center field before, but never for, like, a very long period of time, or at least not with the intention of him playing a full season there. Uh, so if he, if he ever needs to go back to right, you know, I think Grisham gives them an easy way to do that um so i think this is a very underrated part of the trade no doubt you know i mean it feels like this package for soto alone would have gotten the job done but the yankees also got you know trent grisham out of it which uh, is one of the reasons why i think that like this trade will look very good not just you know for one year if soto leaves yeah for sure for sure he you know with with grisham having that walk rate also he had a he had a 315 on base percentage despite hitting below 200 last year um you know he he'll probably bring up that outfield uh or if if soto weren't involved in the trade he would have still brought up that you know outfield on base percentage that the yankees had i think they i think the yankees on base at like below 300 in the outfield last year even with judge uh playing there but um but yeah so he definitely adds an element. And do we want to get into the other outfielder that they added in a separate trade? Yes, let's do that. They, uh, the Yankees before, before the Soto deal, before it was even sort of a, a probable situation that they were getting Soto. Um, the Yankees traded for Alex Verdugo. They gave up, uh, Greg wise, uh, Greg Weiser, um, Richard Fitz. And who's the, what was the third name of the, uh, Nicholas Judas. Yeah, Nicholas Judas, who I think was an eighth rounder in the 2023 is, uh, draft. He was playing in the Cape Cod League six months ago. Yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't watch any of his starts, unfortunately, but he was there. Yeah, yeah. So um, nonetheless, the Yankees get a another outfielder. Red Sox are... Um, you know, move on from Verdugo, you know, the main, the main piece of the Moogie Betts trade, obviously that's a big narrative that people are talking about rightfully so, but um, what were your thoughts on the Yankees getting Verdugo? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's definitely interesting. There's some history there with Verdugo and Yankee fans uh, from 2021, but you know, I think as a Red Sox fan, you know, I had very, I'd say mixed opinions on Alex Verdugo, not even really because of the trade, but you know, every year, 
we saw the we would always see the potential in the month of April, and then we would see the same problems start to start to go wrong, particularly with his batted balls. Um, his ground ball rate uh, last year was actually only forty four percent, which was his lowest uh, in his career. But you know, he still had some some down months uh, throughout the twenty twenty three season, where his his batted his ground ball rate was north of fifty percent. But, you know, just in the good months, it was uh, well below it. Um, you know, just looking at it anecdotally, in the month of July, Alex Verdugo had a 55% ground ball rate. And, uh, you know, he really struggled that month in particular. He also had a 45% ground ball rate in September, uh, 48% in June as well. Um, so, you know, it's kind of just anecdotal at this point. But, you know, Alex Verdugo will have the same season where he... Looks really good in April, and he has his months where he is one of the best hitters in the league and because he's lifting the ball a lot more, but then he'll start hitting it on the ground a lot more and not be as good. And it's, you know, it's obviously not an exclusive thing to him, but it's something that kept, kept happening. And uh, the Yankees actually don't hit a ton of ground balls, believe it or not. So hopefully uh, they can fix that problem because he's a very good hitter if he can learn to keep it in the air consistently. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, he's... Verdugo, you know, I think I've had my mixed opinions on him. We were pretty optimistic about him, you know, say 2020 and beginning of 2021 when, you know, he seemed to be pretty, you know, pretty solid on defense along with pretty solid on offense, you know, consistently does put the ball ball in play, which, uh, you know, his, you know, his strikeouts have never been a problem with, uh, with Alex Verdugo. Um, it's just, he doesn't, he doesn't provide that much of a power threat i don't think he's ever hit more than uh yeah he's never hit more than 16 home runs or more than 13 home runs in a season uh despite playing some full seasons here uh you know he'll he'll get you some doubles he had 39 doubles in 2022 37 this past year um but doesn't really necessarily have the power threat and obviously you know everybody everybody and their mother knows you know yankee stadium left-handed hitter but i think you know, sometimes that does get overblown a little bit, but nonetheless, he's kind of just made himself like an average player. And, but he does, he definitely at the time of the trade added to the Yankees, but with the Soto deal happening, that trade doesn't look as impactful. Yeah. I will say, you know, when Alex Verdugo is doing very well and he has his moments where he is and when he's on, there's no, there's no one that's more fun to watch on the field. Like he is, you know, he plays with a lot of passion and you can see it when he's, you know, when he's doing well. Uh, but when it's not going, it's just tough to watch. Yeah, especially it, another anecdotal thing is like just going after early count pitches and just not not executing at all and just taking a big swing. And it's, you know, yeah. it's just something that it's just some sort of contact that just isn't going to ever get you a hit. Yeah, it's uh, it can be rough, but. But yeah, in in great moments when he comes through in big moments, it's it's extremely exciting. But um, that, I think that's what a lot of Red Sox fans will remember. But you know, you also got to remember the times where, you know, he was putting up a 500 OPS up in a month. You know, in a certain month where he was just absolutely struggling. So you know, ups and downs of a Red Sox career. Um, from the Red Sox side of it, like, what were your thoughts on the return? It was weird because there were reports saying that, you know, that like Verdugo for Labor Torres had been discussed previously. And I mean, yeah, I don't think, I don't think that was a, 
quite the return they got. But I mean, there's there are some interesting pieces. Um, Richard Fitz was one of the best pitchers in Double A uh, in 2023. The Red Sox desperately need pitching, especially like pitchers that they can develop. You know, I mean, Craig Breslow and Andrew Bailey are you know starting their pitching lab in Boston next year, which is you know I'm sure a lot of Red Sox fans are very excited about, and he'll be a perfect test subject. Uh, Greg Weissert has one of the best sliders ever in the league. I mean, his slider averages, I think, like 18 inches of horizontal movement, um, which is really impressive. Um, and he has he has some command issues, but you know, I mean, there's there's potential there. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. I think from a Red Sox perspective, especially considering the holes that the Red Sox have, you know, starting pitching wise. You know, the Red Sox would have liked or Red Sox fans would have liked someone who could contribute to the 2024 team with more with a good amount of innings. You know, Mm -hmm. Greg Weiser, there is some potential there, but all in all, he's a reliever and he pitched 12 innings last year for the for the Yankees Uh, with Fitz. You know, I think he's a yeah, he's a starter down the minors, but he's in the minors right now. So, um, you know, it it seems like they're still sort of building for the future when I think a lot of Red Sox fans expected there to be some big 2024 commitments there still could be it's still very early but um i think that i think some red sox fans were being a little bit discouraged by that yeah i mean especially because they traded uh an an everyday bat that they were probably expecting to be in their lineup i think the red sox you know i mean i think i don't want to say there was a need to trade alex verdugo i mean i know that he had some some moments where he kind of clashed with alex cora last year and that he made a comment saying like, well, we only got a few weeks left and then we're done or something like that, that, you know, didn't, uh, that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Um, but I mean, like, yeah, I mean, he really didn't need to stay for this year. I mean, the Red Sox have a lot of outfield options, whether it be Jaron Duran, uh, whether it be Masataka Yoshida, um, Sedan Rafaela, if he, you know, if, if he's really ready to take the next step, Willier Abreu, Roman Anthony is in the minor leagues. We could see him this year. They could resign Adam Duvall. Um, you know, there was there was not a need for Alex Verdugo to be on this team. So to get something for him before a walk here, you know, I don't hate. Yeah, it it wasn't it wasn't an absolute necessity. I do I would like the Red Sox to be a little bit more aggressive in the position player market to get. You know, I, I'd like another outfield bat because I don't want to be relying on uh, two guys in the rookie years. You know, taking up a bunch of at bats from the outfield. You know. Um, I love the potential of both Rafaela and Abreu, especially Abreu. Like Abreu has some really interesting things about him, but I don't want to be as a Red Sox fan. I don't want to be relying on them to take 500 plate appearances yeah. next year when they're in the rookie year. Like, I feel like that's, that's a lot of pressure to put on them. So getting someone like, you know, re-signing Duvall or getting Lord, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who apparently they're really into, um, that would, you know, that would, um, heighten my spirits about the 2024 Red Sox. But until then, um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to see another bat for the Red Sox if they are, in fact, dishing off Verdugo. Because, you know, even if Verdugo wasn't the best bat, you could you you knew what to expect from him, sort of, in a way. Like, he was going to be he was going to be an average bat. He was going to give you average defense. And he was going to be there. He was going to be able to contribute a little bit. Whereas with a lot of the, with these rookies, you don't exactly know what you're going to expect. So they do have to fill in a little bit there. Um, yeah. Any more thoughts on the, on the trade here? Um, I really, I think that's it. 
it's, um, it's always weird to see a Red Sox-Yankees trade. Like, even though it's, you know, it does, I, the rivalry, I think, doesn't mean as much as it used to, like, 20 years ago. But it is just still weird to see every time it does happen on the few occasions where it does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it it just doesn't feel... Yeah, it doesn't feel real. It's gonna be it's gonna be weird seeing him in a Yankees uniform, even though I don't, even though it's not weird seeing him out of a Red Sox uniform. It's still sort of weird seeing him in a Yankees yep. uniform. Um. So another deal relating to a former Red Sox player, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez. After two years with the Tigers, he opted out of his contract, and he has just signed a four-year, eighty million dollar deal with, I believe, a fifth-year option. Um, so they could uh, they could eventually value his contract at five years and ninety nine million dollars, uh, with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, pretty exciting for the Diamondbacks, a team you know obviously just reached the World Series, maybe outperformed expectations a little bit, uh, with this rising young core. What did you think about this deal? Yeah, Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, going to the Diamondbacks. That's a Daniel Kern victory lap right there. Yes, because um, I did have that one. I thought it. I thought it made sense, and I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that Mike Hazen agrees with me. You know, I think that uh, a lot of backs, you know, something the Diamondbacks could have used in the World Series was was another starter that they could depend on. You know, I mean, you know, the the idea of doing a bullpen game in Game Four didn't sit right. You know, I think it was an issue that they needed to address, especially because their bullpen was never that stellar to begin with. Um, and you know, Gallon and Kelly had excellent years next last year. And Eduardo Rodriguez, I think, fits right into it. You know, he's a guy that uh, I think will work very well in that ballpark. You know, he's going from one uh, pitcher-friendly ballpark to another uh, where he looked really good last year for the Tigers. And uh, not only that, but I think this puts a lot less pressure on uh, some of the younger guys that they have because Brandon Fodd is a guy that I think a lot of people, after his postseason, are looking to see if he can take another step forward, and I think it's going to be a lot easier for him to do so, knowing he ha- only has to be a back of the end, back end of the rotation guy. Ryan Nelson is another guy like that. Uh, Dre Jameson, unfortunately, is probably not coming back next year, but uh, you know, I mean, he'll have obviously he'll have Erod, you know, in the rotation when he does get back. Um, I think this is a very complete Diamondbacks rotation right now. You know, I think it's one of the most complete rotations we've ever seen from them. Uh, because even in 01, like there was not a lot behind uh, Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling. It just happened to be two Hall of Fame talents. And, you know, maybe this isn't exactly that, but it's five guys that, you know, you don't hate to see out there right now. And three of them that you really like to see out there with, with Gallon, Kelly, and Erod. Right. Yeah. I think literally the only games the Diamondbacks won in the 01 World Series were games started by Johnson and Schilling. That's um, actually correct. It was one, two, six, and seven. Yeah, um, with Schilling pitching game four and the Diamondbacks blowing it. But shout out to, uh, I forget what episode it was, but we did cover the 2001 Diamondbacks uh, at some point in the STBNL, STBNL slash AR history series. But um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with I agree with you there. I think I think this is this really was a necessary move and uh, a move that we both like here with the Diamondbacks doing it. And I think what this also is, is a little bit of a sign of commitment to the future of the Arizona Diamondbacks. I think part of the reason why they only had Gallon and Kelly, um, you know, as those two reliable starters was because I think the organization just wasn't really ready to invest yet fully in that, uh, in that organization or in that team uh, for, 
for, you know, playoff runs and whatnot. But now that they've shown that they can get to the playoffs and they can win in the playoffs, uh, there's no reason not to invest in the team. So getting a guy like Eduardo Rodriguez is uh, is a move that they can they can go out and make now. And yeah, I agree that like they they needed that number three guy. It's going to be vital if they do, in fact, make it to the playoffs. And uh, yeah, I, I just don't see it. I just don't see it turning out that bad in the worst case scenario for the for the uh for the diamondbacks i think the only thing you have to worry about with eduardo rodriguez typically is health um and you know that's something something the diamondbacks can work on with with uh with eduardo rodriguez that's mostly been the only detriment with with him not that not that he's an ace necessarily but you can usually just rely on him to be semi-consistent um except for that one really unlucky year in 2021 but uh but nonetheless, you can he's he's fairly reliable and you know you you just need to make sure that he gets the uh the right amount of innings. Yeah, no, you absolutely do. Um last year was uh you know a very strong one for him. Obviously he did unfortunately miss some time uh with an injury, but it was, you know, the best he had looked on the mound in a while. A three thirty ERA. That was the lowest he's ever posted in his career. Um obviously that was outstanding. A hundred he for only uh for only twenty six starts like that is pretty good that's that's probably a pace of like one hundred eighty innings if he were to make thirty three thirty two starts which is as much as you normally make in a season um his pitching run value is ninety second percentile last year uh and it's because all his pitches are just generally very solid his fastball uh had a run value uh of seven uh, you know his changeup had a had a run value of four his slider had a run value of seven so that's you know, a fastball, an off-speed pitch, and a breaking ball that were all very effective for him. So, I mean, he's a very complete pitcher. You know, he has a lot of things that work for him, uh, and, he's a, and he, you know, has a lot of different types of pitches that work for him, more importantly, you know? So, you never really know what's coming with him. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I think he, yeah, I am going to do something a little un, unfair here, but I think this might contextualize the signing a little bit. I'm going to share my screen. I'm and you're comparing, gonna show his savant circles. Oh, I'm, you're gonna do that. I'm comparing him and Jordan Montgomery, who Jordan Montgomery is probably gonna get a longer and and bigger contract. Yes. And it makes sense because Montgomery has been able to be healthier and been better in the last couple of years. But just comparing Montgomery's 2023 regular season and Eduardo Rodriguez's, the numbers are fairly close. Uh yeah. you know, Montgomery pitched 36 mornings, but uh looking at ERA, uh well, I mean, one of them went ten and eleven. So, I mean, what yeah. are you what are you talking about? Yeah, looking you at... tell me you tell me with the guy the, with the losing record, his on a on a winning team, his, is is good. Get out of here. Yeah, um, but looking at yeah, looking at ERA, Eduardo Rodriguez is only behind by point one. ERA plus is only behind by four points. Um, strikeout percentage and uh, strikeout percentage. Eduardo, Eduardo Rodriguez has him. Um, walk percentage, Jordan Montgomery has the advantage. But all in all, um, comparing Eduardo Rodriguez's 2023 and Montgomery's 2023, fairly similar, uh, just inning by inning basis. So if you, you know, if you're if you're a Diamondbacks fan wondering what you're getting, like just look at that, look at that comparison. Like it there's there's they're not too far off. If you noticed that comparison, if you watched on YouTube and saw the the stat head side by side, 
the thing that should have stood out is Eduardo Rodriguez have o- having only 0.6 less B war in 30 less innings pitched. Like that's that's <laughs> better, you know, inning for inning, batter for batter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. And I imagine some of that might have to do with um defense like maybe uh rodriguez's defense behind him wasn't as good because i know b war accounts for that yeah the tigers infield defense is bad other than javier Baez. right right Yep, that's that's the one so so yeah the eduardo rodriguez deal i think it's it's a lot of positivity from for most people he's also still like even though he's been through free agent free agency twice he's still a younger guy heading into his age 31 season you know as a left-handed pitcher uh but but uh, but yeah. Anything more on the anything more on the deal? I think that's kind of it. I just love seeing a team like having a clear need and going out and addressing it with like a very appropriate, like you know, market size type guy. Yeah, ex- exactly. Like, you know, the Diamondbacks aren't going to be investing in the Yamamoto's, Otani's, Snell's, or Nola's of the world, mm-hmm. but they can get a guy like Erod. Yeah, because um, like the thing is, like you know. Not everyone can get Yamamoto, but everyone could get Erod. You know, if, yeah. if any team that wants him could get him. Uh, so you know, I'm sure the Diamondbacks probably had to compete with, with some teams in the negotiation process that were maybe a little above their their uh, budget, but they got it done, and I'm happy for them. Yeah, exactly. Um, good, good to see the Diamondbacks taking the success of 2023 and and building off of it. Um, instead of just saying, "Oh, we we're, we're good enough, we can do this," uh, it's it's time to time to keep improving. So, uh, the last deal we have to get into, we've kind of gone in um, a little bit in uh, in ascending order here, um, or or uh, the whatever the opposite of chronological order is, because uh, one of the first things that happened over the past week was Jared Kelnick being traded from the Mariners to the Braves for. Jackson Coar and another pitcher um within the uh within the Brave system. What were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I re- I really want to go back and find who the other pitchers were, but um it is very weird from a Mariners perspective uh to see how telling it is when an or- organization is giving up on a 24-year-old who just put up a 109 OPS plus. Um you know, obviously, we expected the Jared Kelnick era to get off to a much better start. Uh, he really, really struggled pretty mightily in 2021. Struggled as well in 2022. Looked promising for some of 2023. Went down with an injury and then just really wasn't the same. Uh, so it is a very unfortunate, you know, couple of years that he experienced there. But, uh, you know, we talked about this on our last show, but the Mariners just created a- another hole in their lineup because... Jared Kelnick not being there now means that, uh, you know, Cade Marlowe is their five hitter and Dominic Canzone is in the lineup. Um, you know, you, I, I don't, you don't feel good about that, certainly, for a team that was expected to make a run for a championship this year, and it really feels like ownership is trying to slash payroll. I don't know if it's to get, you know, certain guys in free agency or whatever, but, you know, at this point, it kind of just feels like, no matter who they add, it's still going to be tough to look at them as a championship contender. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Uh, and, you know, people can talk all about pitching, but you do need offense to win a championship. Shout out to the shout out to the Rangers who just had, I think, the best or the most runs scored out of all American League teams and third most runs scored in baseball. Not the greatest pitching overall, like top to bottom, 
but they were able to win off of their offense. Um, and I think scored over six runs per game in the postseason as well. So, you know, you, you need that offense to, to be a championship contender is, is what I'm trying to say, but yeah, looking at, at the contributors of the offense for the Mariners last year, yeah, there's there's a lot of people missing for this next year. Eugenio Suarez, we we talked about last week, is 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 gone now. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez is on the free agent market. The likelihood of the Mariners signing him, you know, it's it's as likely as any other team. It's 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 a little bit low. Like you you don't know if they're going to be favorites or not. And now Jared Kelnick is gone. Those are three guys who all were above average bats last year and probably showed potential to be uh, even better than that. So, and no effort has been shown so far to change that lineup yet. So all we can do is judge based off of what the team they have now. And the team they have now is very, very incomplete. Yeah, no, it absolutely is, especially with the division that they're in. You know, I mean, two of, you know, two of those teams are expected to compete for championships right now. Uh, and to win that division is a gauntlet and they're only giving themselves less and less chances to do so. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent, and it's not like they've added any any uh like twenty any pitching for the twenty twenty four team necessarily, um unless I guess Coar might be an option for that, but nothing really significant. And as for Kelnick, um, Kelnick showed a lot of promise. He made some drastic improvements from twenty twenty two to twenty twenty three. He drastically, sorry to use that word so many times. He dramatically. Uh, dropped his pop-up rate from 15.5% to 2.1%, uh, increased his line drive rate from 16.5% to 29.8%, and uh, you know increased his sweet spot percentage a good amount as well, 27.2% to 38.8%. It's about a 12 percentage point difference. Um, and yet, along with that, had a 9.5% barrel rate. Um, and just, yeah, just brought up all of his numbers, both actual numbers and expected numbers, brought up his average exit velocity to 90.9 miles per hour, um, which was in the 75th percentile in all of baseball last year. And the kids, you know, we could call him a kid cause he's, he's only 24. He's a year old. Yeah. He's a year older than us over here. So like, uh, you know, he, he's already showing, he's already shown some potential, and being only 24 and only having a few years, few like pretty sparse years in the MLB, he has tremendous potential for more. This is the guy who he was a top prospect. He was a, one of the highest draft picks out there. Um, and and yeah, I guess. The, but I guess the Mariners have um, have moved on. So the reason that they moved on was because this is a salary dump trade. Um, not only did. Uh, Jared Kelnick go to the Braves in this deal, but it was Marco Gonzalez and uh, Evan White who also got traded. And the Mariners had signed both of those guys to extensions previously. Uh, Marco Gonzalez is actually on the tie on the Pirates now. Um, he's owed twelve million dollars next year. Believe it or not, he's actually supposed to be the highest paid player on the Pirates as of right now next year. That's pretty. Um, cool. Evan White was also signed to an extension, a pretty rough one for the Mariners. He's owed. Uh, how much over the next he's owed uh 15 million dollars over the next two years and then there's a bunch of club options so uh they saved about you know in in terms of dollars over the next couple of years they saved about like 20 something million dollars uh but they had to cut kelenic at a cost and you know you know what that shows is that you know they're they're trying to cut costs 
uh, at the expense of also a very promising bat that they had, which yeah. is just a really tough. It's a really tough place to explain to your fans that you're at, especially because uh, Root Sports is like increasing their their uh, their cable or uh, Xfinity, which is like the main carrier of Root Sports uh, Pacific Northwest, is increasing their price next year. So Mariner fans are going to have to pay more money to watch a objectively less objectively worse team. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it does seem like a salary dump. Uh, good point you mentioned there. Looking at their 2024 projected payroll, Baseball Reference has it at uh, 108.7. The uh, Fangraphs has it at 117. Both are in like the low 100s. Both would probably put the Mariners like definitely bottom half, maybe even bottom 10 of the league. So, you know, maybe, who knows, maybe it is a salary dump so that they can get pieces in free agency. But there's also the potential that the that ownership wants to commit less um, after, you know, the sort of technical failure that was last year. You know, they were supposed to make the playoffs. They didn't. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's very unfortunate because this team is a team you can build off of. It's it's not something to tear down quite yet. Yeah, no, it's I mean, you're supposed to be in the middle of a window like this is not where you where you start, uh, you know, it almost feels like they're rebuilding. Like, I don't think that's exactly what they're doing. Like, they're going to go into spring training next year, and, you know, Service is going to say that he's expecting to make the playoffs. DePoto is going to say that he's expecting to make the playoffs. Um, And I think it's probably more of a John Stanton thing than anything that, you know, all these guys are, are going. But, uh, I mean, this is just not – it just doesn't feel like a team that's trying to compete. But that's, you know, objectively what they're doing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um. You know, we'll fully be able to judge this after the offseason is over and we'll see what they do in free agency because there are some solid outfield bats out there that they can get, you know, solid just general bats that they can that out there that they can get. I know I think you you had like two bats going to two or three bats going to the Mariners. I had three bats going to the Mariners. Um, so there's you know, we we think they're going to do something, but uh, all in all, based on these trends it looks like that might not be the case. So we'll see about it. We'll, we'll be able to fully judge once the off season is over, but so far that lineup is looking rough. Yeah. Um, yeah. We can talk about this from the Braves perspective, by the way. I mean, I think it's, you know, I think Jared Kelenic is obviously a very fun guy for them to get, you know, I mean, it's, you know, we're getting a 24 year old that has a very high ceiling, a very high ceiling and a very low floor. You know, the the two are very, very much separated. Um, and, you know, they've obviously offense last year and Kellen is a guy that can, I think, really could feed off that. Yeah, for sure. What's what's funny is looking at the Braves and looking at the Mariners, like Kellenick would have been, I don't know, maybe the third or fourth best hitter in the Mariners lineup. Whereas in the Braves lineup, he's like, is he even going to make the lineup? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, he's, he's maybe a pinch hitter option. Who knows? But, uh, which makes this trade even, even yeah, quick, a quick one twenty five OPS off the bench. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like who knows uh, with the, with the Braves and look, trying to look at their roster resource because they don't have anyone really leaving in free agency either. Also, Kalanick also does only have one option left. So, I mean, he he kind of effectively goes on DFA watch if he's not doing very well at the start of the season. 
Yeah, which that's could, true. Which could, which could end up meaning, you know, which could render this trade sort of meaningless for the Mariners. Yeah, that could, uh, that could end up happening. But yeah, I mean, just looking at the, yeah, looking at the outfield, it looks like Fangrass has him filling the left field spot um, with, you know, obviously Ozuna at DH. Um, and I think, yeah, it, it seems like a supplementation with Eddie Rosario leaving the lineup and being out on the free agent market. Uh, that's the, that's the left-handed bat that they needed that has now just left. So, uh, so yeah, they're, they're keeping them they're They're keeping a left-handed bat around and, and they traded just a couple prospects for it and are not going to have to pay that much money to, to keep them around. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it is a cheaper option than Eddie Rosario and could potentially be as or more productive. Um, so yeah, we'll see about it. We'll see about it. Uh, yeah, and anything more before we get into Jim Leland? Yeah, let's talk about Jim Leland. All yes. of Famer Jim Leland. Um yeah, the uh the committee met on or they met and then voted on Sunday. Jim Leland got fifteen out of the sixteen votes. Lou Pinella got eleven out of sixteen. He missed by one vote apparently for the second time, which is very sad. Bill White got ten votes, everyone else got five or less. Uh but Jim Leland, um I, I, I think it was pretty easy to say that he had the best chance of any manager on the ballot. And uh, it, it definitely wasn't a surprise to me that of all people, he was the one to get in. Yeah. Just taking out um, resumes and what each manager accomplished. When you just hear those, the names of those four managers, like uh, for example, yeah, Leland Pinella, uh, David Johnson was another one of them. And uh, Cito Gaston. When you hear those four names, Jim Leland definitely pops out the most. You just have more memories of Jim Leland, like just the, you know, the legendary stuff, him, you know, smoking heaters in the dugout, stuff like that, you know, winning the World Baseball Classic and 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 all that and managing some really good, you know, uh, some some really good Tigers teams and Pirates teams. And, uh, you know, going back to the legendary moments, cursing out Barry Bonds in spring training, like that, that moment and all like he's he's definitely a big part of the baseball story, which I, which I understand the baseball hall of fame. That's, that's part of it is getting a plaque is being a part of the story of baseball. And uh, so it makes sense of why he got those 15 votes. Um, Jim was actually born in Toledo, Ohio, which is about an hour South of Detroit. It's where their AAA affiliate is. Uh, So, and, you know, I think he's very much recognized for managing the tigers as well as the pirates for many years, the Marlins for the year that they won it in 97. Um, he also managed the Rockies, Team USA, and the World Baseball Classic. Uh, the thing that's really stood out to me in the week since he got inducted is seeing the way that all of his former players have talked about him. Um, because, you know, it really makes you feel good about the fact that uh, that he got to the to the Hall of Fame. You know, like Barry, you, know, you mentioned the, the cursing out Barry Bonds video. If you look at Barry Bonds' Instagram, he had a post... Uh, just like pouring his heart out for Jim Leland and saying how happy he was that, you know, he got inducted, especially considering that it's a call that Barry Bonds hasn't gotten. And, you know, there's a reason for him to be bitter about it, whatever he's, he, you can, you can tell that no one's happier than him to see, to see his manager go into the hall of fame. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very, it's very nice to see. It's very nice to see like, um, especially if a manager gets in like the support from, from past players and, and whatnot. And, and yeah, it's it's definitely, yeah, it, it it's definitely something that makes sense. Something I think that we were both worried about with like 
even just these types of elections is the the people could only vote for three on one ballot. Uh, so the idea, so the potential of no one getting in was pretty high. So having someone get in and having that being Jim Leland is uh, is definitely a positive thing. Yeah, I mean, like I said with Bonds, you know, like he, to, to have the moment of, of him cursing him out in that famous spring training video. And obviously a lot of good things happened before and after because they seem to have a very good relationship. Barry seems to be very fond of, of Jim. And that's just one example. I'm sure there's several, several others, but um, I mean, that's definitely one that I think stands out to a lot of people. You know, Miguel Cabrera had a post on his Instagram congratulating Jim and uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a feel good. Everyone, I think it's one where everyone's just very happy to see him go in. You know, it's, there's no, I think the nice thing about these kinds of elections with the managers, executives is like, there's no toxic discourse of like, well, this person didn't deserve it and this person deserved it instead. Like, there's no numbers to go into it. So like everyone's just like, yeah, you know what? Jim Leland was a great manager. Like good, good call there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I totally agree with that. Uh, yeah. Anything more before we uh, wrap up the show? I think that's it. Yeah. So congratulations to Jim Leland. Uh, and, and yeah, ha- happy to be talking about some deals here. Maybe not these particular deals because the Yankees improved by a lot, but happy that there is some action going on yeah. uh, in this in this offseason. Um, we hope you enjoyed this one. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, check out the YouTube channel. It is called Above Replacement Radio. We got the uh, you know, we got the playlist, we got the shorts. Um, check out guest interviews. Um, most recently with Chris Cotillo of Mass Live, Red Sox beat reporter. Um, also we had Mike Petriello on. Uh, one of the main writers and and contributors of Baseball Savant. So guy who check- just wrote a great article about uh, Juan Soto going to the Yankees. Check that one out as well on this Savant front page. Yes, one hundred percent. So check all that out. Also follow us on social media. Follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel, Daniel underscore Curran. And once again, make sure to check out that Billy Wagner article on uh, Wagner joining the Cape Cod League Hall of Fame. Um, Daniel was on site to see it and uh, yeah, check out. Yeah. And yeah, we hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you next time where we will be talking all the happenings of major league baseball. Once again, see you then. This conversation, this conversation is over. Is over.